0: Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagonblast. The ITE annual meeting took place in August. Due to COVID-19, the event went virtual, with attendees from around the world watching on their computers and phones. The opening plenary session, sponsored by the ITE Consultants Council, featured futurist Gary Golden, and he's our guest this month. Gary, so glad you could join us. Thank you for having me. As a futurist, you help organizations and industries think about and prepare for long-term change, growth, and possibly even decline. How does the COVID-19 pandemic compare to other major shifts in the way organizations have had to change the way they do business?
1: So futurists try to look at different types of change when we're imagining how the future might be different. Um, and, and those those three types or mechanisms of change include trends, which are Uh, Things in our world that tend to move slowly, either up or down. It's kind of a more or less situation. Um, We can extrapolate forward based on those trends. And then there are events and choices. So it's trends, events, and choices. And in previous eras of transportation, we've really responded to long-term trends, right? It, it It was always a gradual, slow set of changes that we needed to respond to. And COVID was an event. COVID was a break from our world in a way that we hadn't seen in many decades. So for me, it, it's very much different in that it has been an event-driven change. And, and, you know, and there's a great kind of step outside the world of, of transportation. There's a great comic strip that came out around the, the beginning of COVID. And it was like, the one person's asking the other person, who led your digital transformation strategy? The CEO, the CTO, or covid It was like this world has been forced upon us, the events, the change was forced upon us. And I think that's the big distinction is that it was largely involuntary, right? Work from home was largely involuntary. So I think it's unique in that regard. But if we really unpack what COVID is doing. It's you know, revealing faults in our social fabric. It's surfacing a lot of things that are structurally maybe not aligned in our society that need to be addressed. And transportation is certainly one of those big themes. You're
0: looking at the future, but looking at the past, can you think of any event while you've been alive or even in the past century that has had the impact on the world, such a universal impact as, as COVID has had? I
1: can't in the event category there are you know there's scheduled events election cycles things of that nature and then, and then there are the events that are framed as wild cards sometimes black swan event right low probability high impact if it were to happen it's going to be a big change but it's very unlikely that it will happen we've had you know we've had in the past 15 years September 11th, Fukushima nuclear power plant and the tsunami but I think there is nothing over the last century that has been such a sudden shock to the global system. And our, and our interconnectivity is so much tighter, our interdependence is so much tighter, that makes COVID-19 even more unique. I mean, if we weren't, if we weren't so connected via airplanes and airports and all these things, uh, COVID wouldn't be COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it is, dare I say, unprecedented.
0: <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. When we talk about preparing for the future, individuals can look at that from an organizational or industry perspective or from their individual point of view. How should individual transportation professionals be thinking
1: about their skill sets to be flexible and resilient for the future? Human resource managers will often make a distinction between I versus T-shaped individuals, so we can visually think of a, you know, capital letter I, as, as someone who's depth and expertise, right? I am a transportation engineer. I am a librarian. I'm an architect, right? I am deep in that particular. I'm an I-shaped individual in terms of my skill sets. And a T-shaped individual has depth of expertise in that particular domain. And then across the top of that, they have a bunch of skill sets and mindsets that complement it. So you may be an engineer and you're also trained in ethics or data science. So I... Believe that the future of transportation professionals is going to require more T-shaped skills. Right? We we know that most transportation professionals have depth of expertise. Mm -hmm. It's about adding to that core and kind of pulling that line across the eye to make it a T. That I think is going to make all the difference. Now, what are those complementary skill sets and mindsets? That's for every individual and organization to explore. But if we look at issues like transportation equity, right, where we're given an opportunity now to really reflect on the role that transportation plays in economic opportunity for individuals, bringing a heightened sense of social issues to our engineering or our system management expertise is certainly top of my list as a skill set and a mindset.
0: At the ITE virtual annual meeting that we talked about at the top of the show. You suggested three potential scenarios for the future. Would you share those with us
1: and perhaps highlight some of the potential transportation implications for those, please? The way I set up the scenarios was using a a very common four by four matrix. So if you can just imagine in your head, you've got a, a line going across, a line going down that line. You've got two axes of uncertainty. Um, And then the the uncertainties that I chose to highlight were the level of risk taking, so low to high, and then system integration, again, low to high. And within that, then you kind of get a a low, low, a low, high, a high, low, and you get different combinations of these uncertainties. The first scenario, which was relatively low risk taking and high system integration, was called central command. So in the central command scenario, this is where we go out to the year 2030, 2040, and we imagine that federal and and regional governments are really in charge of the transportation systems in unique ways. And the, the scenario explores the possibility that the transportation sector could be the center of jobs programs, right? So we need to employ tens and hundreds of thousands of people, and transportation becomes that sector where the government really pushes for job creation. So the central command scenario is really a top-down government-coordinated scenario. Then there is a scenario where we have high risk-taking and high system integration, and we call that scenario transportation experimentation. And in this world, the real estate sector has collapsed so, malls and strip malls, and you know, so potentially some, some central business districts have just fallen apart. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what that allows us to do is to reimagine the use of our physical environment. And this scenario of transportation experimentation is a much more decentralized world. And, and in my presentation at the gathering, I, I highlighted blockchain technology which is still in very early days, very much being oversold and overhyped. (laughs) But as a coordination platform, blockchains allow us to have lower barriers to entry and basically no central monopoly control. So in this transportation experimentation future, there is no Uber and Lyft dominating the rideshare in the transportation network company space. It's open to all. So that's that's the second scenario. And then the third scenario is high risk taking, but low system integration. So more fragmentation, more fiefdoms. And the title for that scenario was Big Tech Takes Over. So this is a world where we go out into the 2030s and it's companies that we know today. It's the Amazons, the Googles, the Apples, have basically dominated software that we use to make transportation decisions, and they dominate what we would expect to be still an early stage autonomous vehicle world. And we imagine in this scenario, of big tech takes over, you could have communities or cities or regions that are like dominated by one big tech brand, mm-hmm. right? our community is waymo our community is whatever it is right so those are the those are the the three of the four scenarios the the fourth one is just business as usual right <laughs> low risk taking low system integration which i think we would you know we would argue is today so that's one way of looking at those scenarios you can change your axes and you could say funding and autonomy you could have axes around climate change policies electrification But uh, I think that right now, coming out of COVID, it is really going to come down to how much risk are we willing to take in this industry with support, capital and political support, and then how well are we going to integrate all these systems? Any thoughts as to which direction we might be headed? (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) I probably have a preference for the transportation experimentation I think that there is an opportunity for us to open up opportunities in the transportation sector for more players to get involved. We will not be able to do that if we don 't have a decentralized platform right so if you If you want a city to have you know not just two dominant three dominant rideshare or two or three dominant micro mobility brands. You have to make it open. So I, I think the decentralization part is very appealing. From a practical standpoint, I think that the jobs side of the central command scenario could be most likely, mm-hmm. right? We mm-hmm. need to employ a lot of people <laughs> and building infrastructure is one of those ways. So I, I would not be surprised over the next five years if transportation funding for large projects or to pass governments around the world.
0: One of the things you touched on during your talk, and something that I think almost everyone can relate to in one form or another, is the issue of working from home. Obviously, that has had a significant impact on transportation, not just less traffic on the roadways, but we're seeing transit systems running at a fraction of the ridership they had, say, back in January and such. How does that all figure in? in terms of what was
1: going to be happening? Nobody knows. <laughs> there are a lot of opinions on work from home. I think that we are likely to see a fragmentation in the industries, the sectors that continue and allow workers to stay at home, or work remotely. I think that those will be largely, you know, knowledge workforce, people that may have been working from home partially prior And then I also think that there are going to be some sectors and I think there are going to be regions and organizations that just call their people back into the office and say, look, that was great. We're going to let you work from home one day a week, two days a week, but we really need cultural cohesion. Mm -hmm. We really need you all together in the same physical space because the magic happens when you don't expect it. So I, I think we are likely to snap back a little bit and get away from work from home as such a like binary frame mm-hmm. and really talk more about flexibility. Most people would be thrilled to just work from home for two or three days a week. So I think flexibility in remote working is gonna be the key.
0: You mentioned about transportation equity. Obviously that's something I think that even though it's been talked about for a number of years has come much more to the forefront based on some of the recent events that have happened in the United States during the past few months. Tell me a little bit more about what you see happening with transportation equity and how recent
1: events might affect that. Oh, this is a big one. And 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 it's, it's hard to frame in some ways. Transportation equity, as you said, has been around, it's been in discussion uh, within policy and advocacy groups for some time. And we'll often refer to access to transportation systems. So you know, common way of, of setting it up is you have a new employer that's gonna have jobs for working class people, and they're opening up in a certain part of town, but there are no buses there, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the majority of people that might be candidates to work at that place of business are gonna need transit, right? They may not afford to have an extra car, whatever it is, and th- and that's been largely the framing is is access, and the solutions to that are very. Structural, right? It has to deal with housing policy and redlining practices and gentrification and just, you know, other things outside of our control that make it difficult for transportation engineer engineering professionals to address. So I think that if we're going to resolve these transportation equity issues, we need to be partnering with housing and community development organizations to get to that structural level. And then there are other issues around transportation equity. There's, you know, discrimination in terms of traffic enforcement, who gets pulled over, who doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. And there are potential discrimination angles around autonomy and computer vision. There's a whole set of issues to unpack. But my sense is that the best way to move forward in addressing transportation equity issues is to partner with other professions and with other organizations and sectors. I think that's the way we're going to advance uh, these issues.
0: You were invited to speak to the ITE annual meeting way back in January, which seems Mm -hmm. almost like a lifetime ago now. And When you were asked about it, I think COVID-19 was not on the radar of most folks at that point. What were you imagining the headline topic of your remarks were going to be when you were initially invited to speak to the group?
1: This is a good one. The honest answer is I can't remember what I thought about anything before (laughs) April, right? Everything has been wiped clean. In the end, I think the topics that I expected to talk about were going to orbit around empowered stakeholders. You know, in the conversations we had in planning this event where, you know, we don't, we don't, everyone's talking about electrification and, and autonomy and, you know, we, we've got a sense of uh, micro mobility We've got a sense of these things, but let's try to think about who are the stakeholders in this sector, like cities, right? Empowered cities has been a trend that's been rising for many years and, and then logistics and supply chain companies, I was really going to focus my remarks on these empowered stakeholders. And then what ended happening in in terms of changes from COVID was that those stakeholders were even more empowered. <laughs> so I, I think my remarks, the themes remained the same. I just had more evidence <laughs> signals to share <laughs> with the group. Let me ask you, uh, and I'm not sure uh,
0: that... Obviously, anyone knows the answer as to when this will actually happen, but how do you think a successful vaccine against COVID-19 is going to change the transportation future that you foresee? And conversely, how will a long-term lack of a vaccine impact transportation?
1: Let's start with the lack of. It's quite plausible that we will not have a viable vaccine, right? There's, There's a lot of tricky elements happening with COVID, biologically speaking. And if that is the case, I would suspect that it would be another, you know, another nine months to a year of kind of flailing around, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. <laughs> but if that became a reality, I mean, you know, the, the, I think the herd immunity strategy, it's not a great plan B, <laughs> especially when the, you know, the, the virus can mutate and the herd you know, there's, there's questions about the longevity of antibodies but i think within a year we would really get our act together and apple would release a really cool face mask and you know we would have <laughs> i think we would have a structural response from the marketplace of service and product design that would allow us to to move forward if we do get a vaccine which i think everyone is hoping for as quickly as possible you need to look at the sequencing of who receives that vaccine first and, and I think the consensus is that it's likely to be, you know, older individuals, so they may or may not be in the workforce. I don't know that a vaccine really has a material impact on work from home over the next nine months to a year. Mm-hmm. I think if you're still doing work from home now, you're probably still going to be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the big question is, you know, and, and I'm a parent of two elementary school kids is what about the schools? Mm -hmm. So, you know, our our projections on uh, morning uh, traffic levels is going to also have to align with parent responsibilities for their kids, not just the workplace.
0: Well, Gary, I want to thank you so much. Our guest on this edition of the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast has been futurist Gary Golden. Gary, again, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you very much.